All right, everyone, welcome to the Coach's Box. This is our third installment of what we call For the Culture. Uh, so in For the Culture episodes, we attack different uh, aspects of culture. We're gonna do fashion stuff. We're gonna do law. We're going to do education. Today, we're doing sports. We're doing sports. And so we have some very special guests with us uh, this evening. People that have been there have done that. We call ourselves the Coach's Box. We're not coaches, we're not professionals. We just think we know what we're talking about all the time. But here's the people that really do know what they're talking about. Uh, so it's a pleasure to have you all today. Uh, and if you don't mind, we'll just go ahead and do some quick introductions, just uh, name and uh, you know what you do. Uh, and so VJ, we'll start with you. With you. Okay, yeah, I'm uh, VJ Saxena. Um, I coach uh, the sprints, jumps, hurdles in the 800. Um, for McNeese State University down in Lake Charles, Louisiana. It's a Division One institution, but uh, I kind of have a unique role because I also I, I'm also a teacher here um, in the Health and Human Performance Department. So I teach the freshman level nutrition class, which is now online. So it's kind of like I'm just a grader instead of a teacher. But um, then I also <laughs> teach the weight training, and um, they've made like an outdoor fitness class and a conditioning, so it rotates every semester. So. I kind of have a teacher's role as well as a coaching role. Awesome, awesome, thank you. Danielle? Good evening, everyone. I am Danielle Lynch. Um, I am the head track and field and cross country coach at Penn State Harrisburg, a division three institution. I also am the senior woman administrator and um, duties as assigned. So um, with cross country and indoor track being canceled, uh, I am the chair of our Title IX committee. I am working in student affairs to provide multicultural academic excellence uh, in a variety of spaces. I'm student athlete welfare. Um, and, and that's what I do for Penn State. I'm also uh, a mother too. And I train um, a lot of football guys in their off seasons. <laughs> So, uh, and I'm a doctoral candidate. So hopefully I'll be Dr. Lynch by the next time we all connect. Um, so I'm excited to see you all again. It's uh, bringing back memories. Uh, some of my answers to the questions tonight will basically be uh, about meeting all of you and understanding the possibilities. So thank you for including me. Thank you, uh, Tommy. Hey, first Danielle, what are you going for with your doctorate? So I'm in, um, I'm in a lifelong learning and adult education program. I'm looking at the lived experiences of black male professional athletes in light of the current social justice movement. So the sooner this thing is done, the I'm gonna be moving forward, but with all that's going on right now, it's like, just I'm just adding. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's never gonna be done. That's what it sounds like. It's a very current topic. Um, yes. I'm, I'm a, a critical race, uh, theory background is uh, the way that I'm approaching this, so. Cool, that's really cool. That's really cool. Thanks for sharing that. Um, so my name is Tommy Burdell. Uh, thanks for having me and thanks for getting some of us back together. I currently serve as the Associate Athletic Director here at Williams College. We are a Division Three institution. We play in the New England Small Conference Athletic Conference better known as NESCAC. I've never actually said that whole thing. I always say NESCAC, but I figured for those that may not know. Um, and basically to give you an idea of, of the level of competition in our league, we're like, the, uh, we're like a power five 
type athletic program of Division Three, like, you know, Directors Cup type, you know, you can win national championships, teams in our conference. Um, I've been, I have a coaching background in basketball as well. I still, last year I served as an assistant coach here as well, a little bit in like a hybrid model coming in my first year. Um, love coaching, would love to get back into coaching, uh, but I'm excited with the work that I do. My responsibilities are, well, I'm not, no one's excited about compliance. That's rule number one. But if you ever hear anyone say they're excited about compliance, they're not telling you the truth. <laughs> it needs to be done though. And I do all of our inclusion work, which obviously with what we've been living through this last year has been quite challenging, but also really um, exciting to see the possibilities, to see people coming together, um, to seeing us really trying to make that impact and creating an environment that our student athletes that are underrepresented feel comfortable and, and confident and, and want others to come to our school and have that experience as well. Awesome, awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Garen? Hello, everybody. Uh, my name is Garen Varis, and um, I am currently not in uh, collegiate athletic administration right now. My last position was that I was the athletic director at the Massachusetts Maritime Academy uh, in Massachusetts. I was there for two and a half years. And um, I, I just got to a point at, at that institution that uh, I was I, I didn't like the direction that uh, I was heading as the athletic director and uh, felt that, that I wanted to make a change and see uh, if I could get back into collegiate athletics or if I just decided to do something else. And uh, currently, I've, I'm in uh, doing a lot of uh, diversity, equity and inclusion uh, consulting. Uh, right now, I'm consulting with some um, uh, school districts in Michigan uh, for superintendents and administrators, and um, also getting ready to take my real estate exam here in Ohio. But uh, uh, doing a lot of different things, but you know, really keeping up on what's happening uh, in sports and collegiate uh, athletics and administration. And uh, it's great to see everybody back again, and uh, you know, continue success and and I uh, look forward to the conversation today. Excellent. Thank you for those introductions. All, all I got out of your introductions was that you all wear too many hats. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, so you know, and we could do this popcorn style. So how, you know, whoever wants to, uh, to answer the questions, no particular order. Uh, but I, you know, one of the things is, what is the origin of all of this? What, what or who influenced you uh, to get into the sports field? I can go first on that one. Um, that's an easy question for me, really. Um, some of the first coaches that I ever had, Al, Al, Al Williams, Matt Young, I uh, had them. They coached me in football. Um, Mr. Sheehan, I still call him Mr. Sheehan. Uh, Mr. Rabicki, they coached me in basketball. And, that, and those are the best coaches that I've ever had, and that was before I was done with ninth grade. And, I, and so much so that a couple years ago, I, I was able to find Mr. Sheehan and Mr. Rabicki and I wrote them like letters, you know, like, Hey, like, you know, you, you, and also let me make note of one more teacher that I had that wasn't, a, well, he wasn't a coach, but my violin teacher who was from the Soviet union. And I mean, like, not, not like Russia, like we know, I'm talking about like the old Soviet union who instilled discipline in me, in me and showed me hard work. And I reached out to them and like said that like you shaped me and made me want to do this because I saw the impact that 
one can have on someone at such an early age and, and that can really influence your life. Um, and they were appreciative of it. And I think that though that's what's rewarding for all of us uh, working in, in sports is that, you know, like we always hear that it's a relationship business and what have you, but I think when it's organ organic and authentic and it's who you really are, that's when it's like, you know, you don't need to get paid. I, I, I will accept my paychecks, don't get me wrong, but you don't need to get paid to have that satisfaction and that feeling. Um, and that really drives you to want to keep making that impact on other people. And I would, I would say the, my biggest impact was just the, you know, growing up in Ohio and, and having an opportunity to get a scholarship to go to Stanford at a time when, you know, Stanford wasn't what the Stanford is today. It was more of a, it was growing and they grew their identity. Uh, the women's sports was really starting to take off. And I was around some just outstanding uh, female athletes and to see that program grow while, you know, the male sports were growing also. It just that, that impact of, of what collegiate athletics is of academics and athletics together. And uh, I was fortunate enough to go on to play professional football for, for eight years, but I always look back on, you know, that decision to get an education 2000 miles away from home uh, when I could have gone to an Ohio state and, you know, been a, you know, big man on campus on just playing football, you know, but instead I had the internal uh, fortitude to reach out and re really want to challenge myself to uh, get a great education and uh, compete athletically in, you know, a, a football program that really wasn't a, a big time program. It was, it was decent playing the Pac-10, but it was just a challenge to, you know, get everything that I wanted as a student athlete and, and to, uh, now be part of that and seeing those kids have that same ambition, you know, that that's what, uh, you know, is, is really driving. And I, and I think that will never change. And, and uh, for us to be part of that, to get more kids to, to understand that, you know, maximize, make sure it's the best decision that you make for yourself and not for somebody else. That's, that's what I think is so great about collegiate athletics. Excellent. I guess I'll, I'll go next. Um, well, I have to say, Coach Barris, we must have crossed paths at some point because I grew up in Palo Alto, California, and then I coached at Westfield State for four years. And so I've been to Mass Maritime. So um, we, we must have competed against each other. I love your yeah. facility out there. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but uh, I, I went to Springfield College out in Massachusetts, and um, I, I kind of knew in, in high school, I knew I wanted to coach. And so I, I had family in Massachusetts, and uh, my grandmother, I remember, told me, like, well, if you're going to coach, then where you need to go is Springfield College. And sure enough, I looked it up, and they basically produced the most college coaches in the country. So I was like, that's where I'm going. So um, while I was there, the football coach, uh, Mike DeLong, was uh, someone I really looked up to. Um, Football was always my first love, and um, but I, I got injured in high school. My parents wouldn't let me play again, so that's kind of how I went to the track. But um, I, I got to, you know, really work with the football team at, at Springfield, and when I went to go for my master's, Coach Long pulled me aside, and he saw I was uh, majoring, and I think it was like, um, you know, athletic coaching or something. And he goes, listen, you don't need a master's degree to coach. You need to get something in administration so you can be an athletic director or 
or go further with your degree. And so that's what I, I decided to go in athletic administration. And um, then I, I ended up getting a job at Westfield State as a, that um, I was an assistant to the AD. And then I was an assistant football and assistant track coach, which was kind of like my little dream job there. And um, that's how I met all you guys at that convention. I had the, you know, the D3 ethnic um, minority in sports, uh, you know, uh, position and, um, you know, working with uh, Coach O'Brien over there, he was football and track. And the way I kind of ended up in the track route here was he said, you know, hey, I know you want to do football but don't turn down a job that's just track. Cause he's like, I think you can do something in track. And I was really kind of looking at football jobs. And that's what made me start applying to track positions and um, got lucky enough that uh, I had made connections just like I have with you guys and made a connection down here in Louisiana. I've been down here for six years. Um, so really coached along and, and coach O'Brien out there and, and, and my grandmother were the ones that kind of got me into the position where I am now. Excellent. Um, I think my entry into the world of sports, which, you know, ultimately led me to the position I am in today, was just being a, a little girl who was um, interested in competing and talented. And once that was put into an organized effort through my mother, um, I then got to hear of all the stories of women who um, we're not able to compete. Um, so I'm not exactly a Title IX baby. I'm a little bit younger, but um, opportunities that I had, uh, some of my first, first coaches did not have. So to be able to be pushed and poured into in a way uh, to kind of live out my dreams and the dreams of, of the women that came before me definitely catapulted me uh, into competitive sports. And then uh, understanding that I could go to college with that as well, with that being kind of a newer idea for my family. Um, I've been involved in college sports kind of ever, ever since. Um, when I was little, I remember wanting to be an athletic director at the high school level. Uh, but then I, I had some bad experiences with my, um, <laughs> with some administrators. Um, uh, and, and we later came to, figure out some things as time passed, but um, I knew I wanted to be in a position of service. So my undergrad degrees set me up to work for FEMA. I was interested in disaster, man disaster management mitigation. I wanted to help people, uh, but I couldn't get a job and I could get a job coaching immediately. And I kind of asked some people who uh, were in the field, is this something I want to pursue? And they encouraged me and I applied and, and got right into division one coaching and did well um, almost immediately. Uh, and then understood that I needed to buy a house at some point. So I needed that master's degree so that I could, you know, enter that salary bracket. Um, and then uh, the, the administration piece that really became alive in my mind again, I, I believe when I met you all and when my athletic director encouraged me to go out to Indianapolis and understand you know, other possibilities that were available to me. Um, when I exited division one coaching, uh, I wasn't quite sure of my path. I knew that being a big time assistant at a major D1 or mid-level D1 head coach may not have been all that I wanted 
for my life because I wanted to have a family. I wanted to be married uh, and all of those things come with balance. So meeting you all and understanding that I could still serve and you know contribute to the lives of student athletes was a fantastic option for me. So um, since meeting you all, I've really kind of uh, put all of my efforts into becoming uh, very valuable to my university uh, and then valuable to potentially other universities that may want to hire me. So uh, just as uh, others have shared, uh, I am doing consultation work in DEI. Um, I am joining chapters and becoming well-versed in inclusion um, and, and able to serve in a variety of ways. So uh, track and field and athletics has been a, a long love of my life, essentially. Wow, that's amazing. And for those who don't know out there, we were all, we all met each other at a conference when people were able to get in, together in the same room. You know, we were, we went through a, a track and it was a wonderful experience. It was something that I was pretty shy in my experience there because I was, I think I was the only one that wasn't in athletics at all. So I, you know, doing diversity and work, diversity work, I saw the value in that. And our athletic director said, no, you need to go. If you want to go, and this is something that you love to do. She said, you need to go. Um, and so really happy that I got a chance to, to attend that and meet all of you and just kind of learn all of you. I said, you know, this is a time for me to be a sponge and just kind of take away from, from uh, each and every one of you. And, you know, we got a chance to interact with, with the NCAA folks and learn some things there. Uh, but it's, it's one of those things that are, are is much needed in the athletic space is the DNI work. And so I think one of the common threads is that we've, we've inter, you know, injected that into the work that we do with athletes, no matter what capacity we serve our respective institutions, we, we do that. And it has its levels of successes and it has its many challenges. And so for you all, what are some of the biggest challenges in your roles? That's a big question, James, <laughs> for all of us, I'm sure, you know, um, wow. Can we can I can we backtrack for a second? Because I I had a I had a thought that something that Garen and Danielle said is that um, I think that just like alignment with who you are and environment with where you are are critical components that a lot of people don't take seriously enough when trying to advance in this profession and or uh, go for jobs or think about jobs. Um, and I've, I've had a situation, Garen, that was like what you said about it didn't align with who I was or what I was trying to be about to represent. And I just happened to be reading a book at that time that basically was Environment Matters by Benjamin Hardy. I think that was the name of it. And it just all came together like, you know what? Gotta get up out of here because this is not for me. You know what I'm saying? And right. I applaud you because, again, you don't, you don't know if you're going to get back into college sports. You know, speaking of DEI, because right. like when we were talking about before we got on the call, like the chances and opportunities that people of color get or don't get or first chances or even more importantly, a second chance. Because so many times, like if you take a job, like how many how much professional development do you get on the front end of becoming a first time head coach? You really don't you don't really know what you don't know. I mean, you can learn and grow and maybe that experience goes one way or the other, but so much that you've learned towards applying to a second opportunity that sometimes a lot of us don't get. We don't even, we don't get the chance to fail and then learn and get better for another opportunity. 
I mean, that's that's some of the stuff that even as you asked that DEI question that we are dealing with and working with as we navigate our careers every single day, really like trying not to make a critical mistake, <laughs> you know, and trying not to have um, a tough conversation, trying not to be labeled as something in the eyes of someone else. Like that's part of it. Like I'm, that, what, I'm, at, I'm actually answering the question, <laughs> didn't even know it, but like, it's, it's, there's so much to it um, that, it's, that it's tough to navigate it all, you know? Well, I mean, and especially, I mean, in the Northeast, I mean, I, I remember looking at statistics of, you know, how many black administrators or administrators of color in New England. I mean, when I left, when I left Massachusetts Maritime Academy, I mean, I, my intention was to stay around that area, but I mean, just the, you know, with credentials that I had of not even getting, you know, in a sniff at, you know, getting back in was, was just, you know, crazy. I mean, I actually thought that was crazy, but, you know, I can just imagine the young people coming up and seeing the statistics of uh, administrators in certain parts of the country that uh, it's the, the record is uh, abysmal. Uh, you know, this is a time that, that really those, those numbers and uh, the situation has to be addressed. And, and uh, you know, I'm hoping that uh, the athletic departments and universities start to put that pressure on people that you really have to, t uh, we want to take a good look at the, the candidates that are coming through. And uh, that's why I feel, you know, very privileged to be part of that program to, you know, even, even then to recognize that. But I still don't think that we're anywhere near what, um, you know, we would have hoped that our situation would have been after going through that program and seeing changes. Yeah, Garen, you're spot on. You're spot on with our, with the New England region and what, and what is lacking and what have you. So much so that honestly, since our program, which was what, 2013, 2014, yeah. something like that. I, it was like, I wanted to start like a coaches of color group. You know what I mean? So I, I, I coach basketball. I wanted to keep it to basketball. And I was actually probably thinking too big. Like I wanted it to be national because at the time, like, you know, the old black coaches association was falling apart and there were two of them and they're all geared towards division one. And there's all these other levels and layers mm -hmm. of, Division two, Division three, NAIA, high school, all of these, you know, junior college. But long story short, what I what I was finally able to get off the ground, and it's with the help of my colleagues, is that within our conference, we've I've organized coaches of color. Like, and when I say that, it's like across the board, no matter what sport, head coach, assistant coach, and we have had some unbelievable zooms and conversations and professional development and stuff because it's so sorely needed and it's been a, a community of supporting like we're in the same conference like we play in a competitive conference but one of the things i remember learning from grad school that stuck with me the most is the definition of competition is the two parties in the competition wanting the other one to be at their best to help you be at your best you know what i mean like it does me no good if Garen, you know, if you and I are playing a game, even like just a video game, if we're playing Madden and you suck, that doesn't help me get better. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> something as small as that. And just to hear you say it, like I, I always knew it. And, and it, it's just, it's a reality. And so much so that one of our professional development things with that group, like we intentionally brought in a search firm to meet us, you know what I mean? To, to get to know us. 
because the one thing I remember learning from that, from the administrative thing that we were at was you need to have intentionality with what you're doing. You know what I mean? And if you know you want to be somewhere in this profession, you got to reverse engineer that. Like Stephen Covey said, begin with the end in mind. You have to do that and you have to reverse engineer this stuff, especially us. You know what I mean? Especially us, because as we were talking before the call, look at, let's take the NFL. Look at the hiring processes. You know, if people would have had the resumes that certain people had, let's just say Eric Bieniemy or Todd Bowles, like when other people have those resumes or even lesser, they get jobs. Look at who the Giants hired last year, for example, Joe Judge. You know what I mean? Like he didn't have the same credentials as, as some of these people. And it's funny, as I do this work, I'm reminded though of what my parents always told me, like we have to be five, 10 times better than our colleagues to get these opportunities, to get these jobs, you know? And, and we, we have to go through hurdles. We're held to a different standard just to get first and second opportunities on these positions. And like you said, it's a frightening proposition for those coming behind us. And this is a different generation. You know, they're, they're not gonna be accepting of just like, I have to be five times better. Like they wanna make the playing surface way more equal than it is now. Um, and, and, and I see that and I'm challenged as I lead our DEI work here because I grew up in the middle of New York City. I was in very diverse schools. So sometimes like I just, am, and we're of a different generation where like we get that, okay, we're just gonna be five or 10 times better than the other person. But when you start to peel back the layers on this, you realize like that sometimes or a lot of times isn't even good enough because of the different things, hiring practices, people who know people. Because remember they told us so much in that, in that conference about knowing people, this and that. It's really who knows you and who knows what you really can do. Mm-hmm. And that takes time and intentionality to create those relationships of someone knowing who you are like that. You know, what do you guys think about that? I mean, what what I'm hearing you say, uh, for lack of uh, a better term, is the black tax factor that we have to be overprepared, um, overqualified. Um, I've I've also noticed challenges for myself. Um, I applied for a position, had the best interview, I think, of my life. And someone was hired who had way less credentials, not even a master's degree, because they were a better fit because I was, um, I think the words they used was like, I was overqualified or I wasn't specifically able to uh, focus all of my attention on the type of turf and Bermuda grass that would be on one field versus the other. And I was like, I can do community outreach. I can do, I can, I can work with whatever department you have here. Um, And this person a younger person and someone that they can pay less and is more malleable to what they want. So I, I'm sitting here saying, so am I not going to get any job after I become Dr. Lynch? Like, am I going to be too qualified to do anything? So that's where I'm feeling like the black tax might be reversing on me and kicking me in my teeth. <laughs> um, I think that dealing with racism, you know, we, we have to call it what it is, whether it's institutional, structural, whatever, racism is a, is a key factor. Um, in getting my job way back in 2013, I, I, was, I said to my assistant coach at the time, if I had a dime for every person who came up to me and said, which was said to me at our first meet, oh, they hired you for that job? I guess they needed a woman and a black person. And I mm-hmm. went, oh. 
Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm a woman and I'm a black person, but you need to look at my body of work. Mm-hmm. At my resume to see how I am more qualified than you are, sir. Thank you for your, you know, privilege in speaking to me this way today. Um, so sexism is, you know, I'm not in the company to really get deep into that, but we all know that that's real and that exists, especially um, when working with uh, sports and colleagues that uh, are, are confused that you coach men and that you coach men well. Um, and then the other piece for me, mentorship. I have had so many people that have been assigned to me as a mentor. We're trying to develop these relationships and they get out of the game or the game moves them. Mm-hmm. So I, I often find myself with mentors that they're mentors in my mind, but they don't know that they're a mentor to me because I think I am now becoming the mentor, even though I haven't risen to where I intend to go. And the last piece, and that might be specific to maybe New England and central Pennsylvania, representation burnout. (laughs) Everything that deals with any female and or any person of color, I am intimately and deeply involved to the point where I'm like, I think this is a compliance violation. And they're like, it might be, but you, you know, that's why we hired you. Figure it out. So that that is my that is my piece. <laughs> well said. Yeah. yeah. Um, I guess the challenges in, in being a coach at, <laughs> yeah, is a little different than being an administrator because, you know, the kids kind of come to you um, with everything that, that could be going wrong and um, just everything that's gone on this past year. It's been a lot more things going on at home and, you know, parents losing jobs. They're having to work for providing money for their family. Um, Just on Saturday, we got shut down from practice for COVID outbreak. And so my whole training group has to self-isolate and uh, kids texting me, like, how am I supposed to work? Like I have I have to pay the rent. Like, I don't know how I'm going to eat. And I said, well, we got worked out. We have meals delivered to you. Like, that's one other thing that's not on their coaching list. I think a lot of people want to go into coaching. They don't realize that, like, coaching doesn't have, like, a laundry list of things for you to check off every day. It's something happens, and you got to do it. And same thing in administration. Something happens. You got to take care of it, and you got to do it in the priorities that you think it needs to be taken care of. And um, I think that's just the biggest challenge is that you never know what's going to come each day. But I think that's what I love about coaching is like if I was in a desk job where I just came in, sat in a desk and did data entry every day, you know, I'd be pulling my hair out. But, um, you know, I like having a, a new challenge and, and um, whether it's a, an issue that a kid's having or if it's something that, you know, a new challenge in, in track, like what's a new fundamental that they need to improve on in order to get to where they need to be. And uh, I think one of the best things I picked up from a a clinic was that, you know, the term coach, um, they used to be called athletic teachers. And then in the 1800s, they rode horse-drawn carriages. It was called riding coach. And it took you from where you are now to where you want to be. And that's the the role of a coach is to get the kids, what's their goal? All right, well, my job is to take you from where you are now and get you to where you want to be athletically, academically. And then after you graduate, what's your post-collegiate goal? Um, and so along the road, there's going to be a lot of bumps along the road. So the, the, all those challenges that pop up that 
um, with kids not affording school and, and everything. I mean, every day it's something new. So who knows what tomorrow will bring. Right. I think that's a perfect segue actually to the next part of what we're going to talk about is, you know, a lot of times bad team cultures are usually when an athlete doesn't feel like they could bring their whole selves into the space, whatever space that may be with the team. And by nature of your positions, you know, a, a coach, uh, even a trainer, whatever the co- case may be, athletic director, you may be one of the first people that the that student talks to about a situation. And I think it's, it's interesting that there are some schools of thought that say, you know, you need to compartmentalize and leave this at home, leave this at home. And, you know, I've had to be in meetings before. I'm like, well, you don't leave it at home. <laughs> you know, like I can tell when something's going on with you, you still bring it's still on your mind and you're asking people to, to play and, and to focus. Uh, and so how have you in your respective roles been able to support student athletes holistically? Well, I'd, I'd say, you know, when I was an athletic director, I was for two and a half years, I, I cherish that role uh, as an athletic director. And, uh, you know, my thing, I, one of the first things I tell is like, my door is always open and I want to hear, I can be busy, you know, but, and you've got to plan the time out, but just hearing, you know, that these kids, they're young and uh, to have somebody to come in and talk to you. If they can't talk to their coach, they feel that there's that, that uh, you know, coach, uh, student, athlete tension or whatever, and they, they want to come to a third party. I mean, I, I, I love that part of, you know, just from my experience as a student athlete and being around student athletes and trying to get them, you know, whether if they need psychological or they just need emotional help or just somebody to talk to, whatever it is, you know, be that conduit to, to make sure that they get that the attention they really need. And uh, I love that. And that was just part of uh, who I am. And, and uh, you know, I was never good at it when I was a student athlete, but I, I know that, you know, through my experiences of how much better I could have been. And not, uh, now that I'm in that position or was in that position that, that I can really give that valued uh, opinion and get them, you know, at least going in the right direction. And um, if you don't have that empathy or if you don't have that compassion in collegiate athletics, get the hell out. Um, because it, it's just, it's, it's part of what we should be doing and not enough, you know, people have those skills to do that. But if you don't have those skills, you know, make sure your student athletes get to somebody who, um, you know, can really help them because it's, it's a, a valuable time in their lives. Those four years is, is incredible. And to have good people around that are helping um, the student athlete maximize their potential, uh, it, it's just, it's an incredibly important stage in their life. I think you all have summed it up really well into what these positions really are. They're leadership positions, whether you're a coach or working in administration, and that's a skill, as you, as you eloquently said, Garen, you know, and, and not enough are developing that leadership skill. Like, think about it. When, let's just stick with coaching for a second. Far too often, people start to get into coaching, whatever sport they're doing, and they're thinking technical, technical, plays, players, recruiting, that kind of stuff. Or, you know, it's all that. But you know what? That's, that's minuscule to, like, building genuine relationships. You know, and, and, and that, I go, when I think back on 
my beginning of my coaching ever, like at the scholastic level, which was actually the first real, like if you want to say real with air quotes job I had was coaching a freshman boys basketball team. And, you know, my first question I said to myself is like, how am I going to get these guys to believe in me? You know what I mean? Like that, that's it. You know, like, so how can I get the buy-in? How can I get the believe in? Um, it wasn't, I wasn't worried about what we were going to run or do, because guess what? If they don't believe in me, it doesn't matter. And if they do believe in me, it doesn't matter. But I don't think enough people, first of all, I think too many people are coaching or getting into working in sports because it's cool. You know, like they, they don't really, they're not really about it because realistically, and I'll never forget this from my, one of my first sport management classes, they said, Hey, listen, how many of you want to make money? Everybody puts their hands up. They're like, don't work in sports because <laughs> there's no guarantees that you're going to make that money. You know, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Why did we get into this? The impact, a lot of times it's the impact that others made on us. And that reward is what drives us. As Danielle was talking about, VJ, you know, Garen, we're all saying that. Um, but leadership, I think we're lacking a lot of leadership. And I think that the way, think about this too, like, the coaching profession, we can get a hundred coaches on here and we've all got into it a different way. This is a profession. There should be a way to get into this. Like you should be, you should be developed. You should be groomed. You know, when you, when you think about how you can get into this, like if you just know somebody, you could just start coaching, you know, and then you don't, you don't get developed. You don't get the right things that you need. Um, and I know for me as an administrator, I'm lucky because I'm, I can easily build the relationships with the students because I work with the students. I do our SAC work and I do our student athlete of color work. So that gets me that tie. But one thing that I've really liked is that in all my administrative positions, I've had some kind of coaching thing. So student athletes can see me interacting with their friends that I coach and I've built up that good rapport. And then there's a positive discussion I guess about me and then I I don't I I'm I don't have to leap hurdles to get the buy-in from student athletes that I don't coach but that's a challenge if you're just an administrator like I applaud these just administrators who don't have any coaching responsibilities how they do build that connection with student athletes um, but guess what it comes back to the old acronym time spend some time with them you know create situations in which you can spend time and get to know them um, that never fails. That's like time tested, uh, approved, and, and will always work. But so many fall short of that, I feel. Yeah, well, that's, and that's one thing that also, as an administrator, that I was involved, you know, with a, with a diversity task force, mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, going to practices. I mean, you've got to make a concerted effort to, to get around and let them know that, that you care about the programs, you care about them individually, and, you know, just saying hello to them just, just uh, you know, goes a long way. And, uh, you know, some people don't see that. They sit in the desk all day long and, and uh, don't get to know. And, and that's, you know, I, I think detracts from that, you know, top-down feeling that uh, everybody feels if they're, you know, the AD is just sitting up there in his chair in the big chair and not getting involved. You know what's a, a big myth about college athletics? Um, is that the administrators do less than the coaches. That's a myth. The, yeah. the administrators are doing more than the coaches. I can yeah. tell you that for a fact. <laughs> you know, I can tell you that. If you're a good administrator, you're yeah. doing more than one specific coach what their team is doing because all of those teams are your teams. And like you said, Garen, you got to be at all these things. You got to do all this stuff. And you still have to have the 30,000 foot view 
of leading the program and managing, guess what? The hardest people in the, in the building to manage, not the kids, but the adults, because <laughs> right. that's, that's not easy either, you know? Anyone else wanted to chime in on that one before we move forward? I mean, the only pieces that I would add, um, I think that my student athletes and all student athletes at the schools that I've been a part of understand that I genuinely care about them as individuals. Um, and I think the proof of that for me has in relationships that I've had over time with student athletes that I never even coached. They mm -hmm. were institutions where I was and we were together and we made an impact on each other. Um, like just being at some institutions that I've been at where, you know, you see a face of color and that is an immediate um, comfort to you in most times um, has let me understand that my presence uh, is very much so valued um, and that that means a lot to me um, more than conference titles more than national championships knowing that I am able to affect someone's life in a very positive way um, I think that some, some students know me as the person you call when you have a problem and that can be good or bad. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it's, um, I'm going to help you. I'm going to do whatever I, I can, you know, within the university's resources and, and within my own mind to make sure that you're good. Because at the end of the day, you're here for four years. Uh, you're in a very um, crucial developmental time in your life. And if you have people that are looking out for you, um, it, can, it can mean the, the difference between life and death at times. So um, I don't take that lightly. Um, and it, it, it is sometimes heavy on me. It's sometimes hard on me. I, I sometimes have a problem with that disconnection. But uh, when I remain balanced, this is another key one here. When you are balanced and you have limitations, um, then you can support people within those limits and not give too much of yourself. But um, I, I am very much so a coach of the athletes, all athletes, I'm, I'm for them. Um, and then we win as a result of them knowing that there's a, a care and genuine love for their wellness. Hey, Danielle, you hit on, you hit on, a, on something huge is, ba is balance. Um, I've never coached at division one, but can you, can you speak to like the differences of division one and division three um, and, and how really out of balance <laughs> it might be, or, you know, like, or some of the, you know, just like, that's a, that's just a great point to hit home, but you having those experiences, VJ too, you know, you have those experiences, um, just to, to dive in deeper on that. I mean, I, the division one schools that I coached at were highly academic, um, they don't like to be called it, but like baby Ivy kind of schools. So, um, the level and the expectation of performance were high all around, but it still was very different from some experiences that I've heard from other division one athletes and coaches. Um, you know, our expectation was for students to graduate within four years with a degree that was going to make them a whole lot of money and they were going to have a great experience athletically while they were there. Um, division three is a little bit different. Um, 
We want them to have a fantastic experience. And this was one of the pieces like in transitioning from being a long time division one assistant to a head coach in division three. I was so worried. I'm like, I've never really dealt with a budget other than, you know, the budget that I was given to create housing and food opportunities. And that was like the last thing that I had to worry about as a division three head coach. I had to worry about other things like culture and like what, what type of student is coming to this place and why are they coming here and what are they bringing with them and what types of challenges is that going to present me with my job title or job expectation to be winning when I'm teaching people like basic life skills now. Um, and so that's why I don't know that division one and division three is really the deciding or differentiating factor. I think each institution is very different and uh, the expectation of those programs. Um, but division three, what I can say, uh, division three is, is about the student athlete experience. Um, it's about doing well in the classroom. It's about that balance. And I think with one of my division one schools, that was also very important. The other one was a military institution. So it was different. Um, but I, I understood that my path was probably more along the line of a division three school that was well-funded, that had support systems for diverse first-generation types of, of students. That is what speaks to my heart. That is where I can, I can help people. Um, my previous school, I was also kind of critiqued a little bit because while we had a very, very upper crust kind of um, student, I was in the projects, I was in, um, trailer parks, I was up on the side of the mountain, I was wherever kids were that could get this great experience. But while I was there, the experience continued. Uh, when I transitioned, there were some, some things uh, left to be fulfilled, but I'm about the student, I'm about experience. Um, I had a student uh, stop by the other day, um, he just finished up his second uh, master's degree. He is from the projects in Yonkers, he tells me I saved his life. Mm -hmm. It's that type of stuff that speaks to me, that makes me understand that what I'm doing is right, even though I'm upsetting people's apple carts and admissions sometimes. Um, it is, that's, that's my story, you know? Guess what, admissions will be wanting a story from him real soon, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. they, for, they, they, they forget about that sometimes. Not my admissions officer here, though. No, of course not. <laughs> not currently. This is not current. None, none of what I'm sharing is current, and I'm not naming any schools. But yeah, you know, it's um, it's about that, you know. And I think that's part. That's also our calling as um, administrators and um, coaches from the margins. You know, able to see things through a different lens and attract the talent and the value that a lot of our university statements say, you know, we're here to attract diverse, you know, campus student body, blah, 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 blah. But we actually are, you know, in the soil, planting the seeds and making those things happen. And I, I think like division three, you know, let's just be honest about it. It's not money-making. So the model of what college athletics was supposed to be back in the day, which maybe needs to be changed, but uh, let me rephrase that, which does need to be changed, exists at division three. Whereas like when you hear, especially power five football and basketball coaches talking about student athlete experience and this and that, I mean, come on folks, you're about to have these kids in division one men's basketball playing in a bubble. 
you know, they're so they're so what student experience are they getting? They're, they're not going to be taking classes, you know, like with wherever the rest of the kids are taking classes, you're going to be in a bubble. And I get it. I get what the men's basketball tournament, the revenue provides all the way down to division three, but we can't sit here and pretend like student athlete experience is the same. Um, that's just, that's not true. That's not true. Um, VJ, how, how's your experience been like that division one, division three balance, balance of your life, you know, what you're trying to do and yeah. stuff. Well, I think, I, honestly, I think recruiting is much more difficult at Division three because for every 10 kids you recruit, you get maybe one. And that's just the reality of it is because you, you're going to call a kid. And I think at Division one, the, a lot of the times the, what the recruits are asking, how much money am I getting? You know, like how, how much can you offer me? Now, at track and field, what people don't realize, I think, is there's 12.6 scholarships on the men, 18 on the women. It's not an all or nothing like volleyball or football, you know, some of those bigger sports that are headcount sports. So, you know, you offer a kid books in $2,000 and the parents looking at you sideways, but the, the, the kid thinks that if they run 56, like if their girl runs 56 in the 400, they, they want a full ride. And it's like, you got to run under 53 to make regionals. So you got to realize this is like, you're going up against the best in the world. And then at, at division three, it was really like you were best in the state. You're recruiting the kids that are the best in the state, but you had to find kids that, that can afford school, you know, or that they had need-based scholarships that were going to be able to go there. Um, you know, with division one, you can stack, you know, need-based scholarships, academic money and um, athletic money. So it, I think it's a lot easier to get kids. I don't have to recruit as much as, as, as higher volume, I should say. It's more at this point, the quality, of the, the, the athlete, but um, I, I still have the same rule. You know, you never want to recruit kids that will not be accepted. You know um, you have to have find kids that are going to be able to be successful at your school. Both schools I was at were state universities. So um, you're always going to look for kids in state versus um, kids that can out of state waiver um, internationals that can get the international waiver, you know, things like that. Um, so I think like what, the main difference is I think I've had more kids that they need to have a job and still work at um, division one. I did at division three, which sounds kind of weird because the kids at division three, um, you know, they, they, there are some kids that needed money, but I don't think it's as severe as it is. Maybe it's just being down here in Louisiana where there's a, a higher poverty rate than there was in Massachusetts. I, I, it might be, um, more of that being related to the to the issue um but i've just found that that's kind of the, way, the first thing you call a kid they want to know how much it's going to cost whereas at division three they want to know what your facilities are like you know our, my, our facilities at westfield were better than they were down here i can tell you that right now but that when they're coming to school here it's it was division one you know they get mm -hmm. we, we're going to lsu we're going to texas a&m u of h the kids get more excited about that as going up against the best competition whereas it's more of, like you said the experience uh, like what's going on on campus like i honestly couldn't tell you what's going on student activities on campus here because i don't want them there <laughs> i want them doing their homework and going to practice that's all i want going on here whereas at westfield it's like you know i'd be at those student activities Whereas here they're only interacting with the other sports on campus. And so I, I think that's kind of the difference is I don't want them doing fraternities and all, <laughs> all that stuff at division one, get focused. And um, cause this is my livelihood. And, you know, I, I get bonuses based on 
APR and um, things mm -hmm. like that. That's what they care about. And, and for track and field, we count for cross country, men's and women's, and men's and women's track. So we basically count as four sports for a, for people who don't know APR's retention rate. Um, you don't so count as six. We they got rid of that my second year here. We used oh, to count, wow. yeah, indoor, and indoor outdoor, outdoor. They yeah. merged into one because they said it wasn't fair, but um, <laughs> whatever. Um, okay. But with that being said, like, so I remember going in and like each year that I've gotten like a job opportunity, I, the, the only way I get like a raise is, you know, um, like I go in and ask, all right, what do I need to, to like better myself and, and be able to up my pay scale? And at first it was like, all right, we need to make sure we're, we're graduating kids and keeping kids. And we had four out of the last five years, highest retention rate in the conference out of 13 teams. And um, then my next question, you know, the next time I go in, it was, all right, now I need a win. And it's like, okay, so second place isn't good enough. I got to win now to get, my, you know, the next step. So um, it's really more, they want the athletics to be successful, whereas, um, I, I think admissions getting kids in was kind of more of the at division three here admissions doesn't need us to get kids in kids are going to apply to McNeese because they're, they're going to apply to state schools because the difference between private and state school money right now is is enormous and it's continuing to climb but sorry that was a really long-winded answer but I feel no, like no point, there's though. so many differences that in every school that you coach at and you need to focus on in terms of getting kids so it's it's hard to say if the differences are between division one division three or the location you are regionally or just the school so it's yeah, all of the above <laughs> I, I completely agree i mean my previous school was had the number one graduation rate in all of division one but we were also the whitest women's track and field program in any division <laughs> and i and, and I was being like questioned, you know, are you recruiting us or, and I'm just like, I'm presenting them and you're telling me no. So um, it, it really, like you said, it depends on the school. It, it really depends on the school. Um, right now, I have zero facilities. I think that I would be better off as a high school coach in terms of facilities because I can't even run in hallways. We don't have an indoor track. We don't have an outdoor track. I'm serving like the parking lot that's far away so that, you know, there won't be any kids potentially hit and we can't have practice yet. But it, it's all about, again, learning that school system and what is expected of you because my athletic director knows this. He knows that I'm working with nothing and I am coming out with all Americans and, and a national champion. Like he, he understands that. So it's whether, you know, we as individuals, as coaches want to deal with those circumstances and try and find success, you know, or, or whether we need it to be, you know, a different way. Um, I've never coached division two. I'm not sure if there'd really be a difference in that with partial scholarships, but when I was division one, you know, one school was everyone had a full ride and the other one, we did not have any scholarships. We just had preferential packaging. Danielle, you started yeah. to get into something that was that was interesting that we experienced at our school and within our conference. And it's really the competition for diversity, specifically student athletes of color or and or first gen, because also with the academic component that we have, I mean, like, you know, what I, I couldn't I couldn't go to any of the schools in our league, but I definitely couldn't go to Williams. I mean, Williams is the number one ranked small liberal arts college in the in the nation. Yeah. You know, yeah. so like, and, and we're winning director's cups. So there's this, there's this, you know, 
there's your challenge right there. Go, go diversify teams, <laughs> you know, with, with kids who have, you know, high academics and are good enough to play on your teams and help you win. Like that's those kids, when you find those, they're, they're not just competition with our league. That's the Ivy league. That's the Patriot league. That's might be Davidson. That might be Stanford, you know, like the Northwestern, you know, so it's, it's like, it's funny how sometimes at college athletics, we're asked to cure societal problems. You know what I mean? A lack of diversity in a sport or this a department or like, you know, whether it's music, whatever it is, it, it starts before they get to us. You know what I mean? But like, but we're charged with trying to, to change it. Um, and, and that's not, that's not simple. You know, that's very complicated to make happen. And, and the, while you're competing with Ivies and I wouldn't even count Patriot League schools, all have, I believe you all still have um, a financial aid system where you meet 100% of need. So that yes. you, you know, a, a, a leg up on some, but you know, you, you're competing with Harvard. Um, mm-hmm. In essentially, so they have to want to be out there, they will have to want to be a purple cow, they have to want to be in you know Williamstown essentially. Yeah, I hear you, it's it's all about that fit. The other piece I was going to say, um, and while you know Penn State has some really you know, we're the largest alumni base in the world, recruiting kids to a school where you don't have a facility and them being okay with it there's going to be some stuff that comes with that. Mm-hmm. Ask about that or they, you know, are just looking to get somewhere, you know, it, there's all types of things with that. So to go from places that were super duper structured and if I needed someone, I just, something, I just could place an order to a big state school system where there are limits on things and you have to go through authorized vendors and that sort of thing. It can become quite complicated. <laughs> You, you need to order a traffic cop, it sounds like. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> For your track practices, yeah. That's oh my, crazy. It, yeah. it is something else. I mean, the things that we've achieved uh, have been pretty, pretty outstanding, uh, considering. And that, that's a lot of faith. That's a lot of psychology uh, and experience. I mean, I'm, a, I'm an old coach now, so I can, I can help people to get into mindset form uh, and relate it to life. <laughs> So it's, uh, it's a little bit of magic, a little bit of, uh, so one of your questions was about like, what do people think about you? Like, what would your peers or what would your athletes say? I have been called the facilitator of dreams. Because people will tell me something and I'm like, how can we make that happen? And I'll, let me see if I can get the fundraising. Can you make this under 21 nationals meet? Let's see if we can get that funded. It's funny that you said that, Danielle, because I was literally about to say to you that, like, listen, having no facility, having all the challenges that you have and building that program, it doesn't happen if you're not delivering on the promises that you're saying to the people that you're to the student athletes that you're coaching. You know, like so I I mean, I applaud you for not just saying it because so many of us say it, you know, like promising we're going to take care of their kids as they're our own and this and that but you're actually delivering it because we know bad news travels fast. So if you weren't doing it, guess what? You wouldn't be getting the kids. So I'm standing up and giving you a standing ovation and keep doing what you're doing. I'm dead serious. No, I appreciate that. I imagine it's the same for a lot of us, you know, that, that 
have that same passion and same desire to actually help kids that didn't get into coaching because it's cool. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing cool about recruiting with no facility. <laughs> I can tell you that. <laughs> and it got to the point where I was like, I'm just not going to mention it this time and I'm going to see what happens. I'm going to mm -hmm. see a kid on this visit actually asks me where the track is and some don't. Some are just yeah. like, I want to be out of my parents' house. Like, can I come tomorrow? And other kids are like, where, where are we going to be? Mm, okay. <laughs> well, you know, your competitor has an indoor and an outdoor. I'm like, yeah, but they don't have me. They don't have the Penn State, blah, 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 blah. You know, so you decide. <laughs> so it's, it's complicated. Yes. Yeah. I know as an, as an administrator, I, I can remember my a track coach and I had one of the schools uh, that changed her schedule to only have three practices per week. And I found out, I was like going, you're only having three practices a, a week. What, when did this change? He said, well, I've got this going, you know, and I got, I'm just like going, are you kidding me? These, these student athletes are here and they're agreeing to it, but you're the coach. You were to have practice every day of the week during the season. And I mean, it was just the commitment, their non-commitment of a coach to try to pull something like that uh, was just uh, astounding to me. Uh, you know, and our track is, our track was uh, about two miles away. They, the kids had to get in the van and go to the track. It was a high school track. And um, the coach lived a little bit away, but said, hey, this is what you signed up for yeah, yeah. to be here at practice for those days of the week. And I mean, it, it was just like, we battled back and forth and I'm like going, am I really, am I in a twilight zone here that, that, that this coach was knew this from the, be, the beginning changed in mid season because of her schedule and thought that that would be okay without coming to the athletic director and, and saying, you know, if she had a problem, that would have been fine. Just, Let's come talk about it. But but that's not at that level. You're there to coach. That's what you're getting paid to do. And it's not a three out of five on your own schedule, you know, and that that really surprised me there that that somebody who had been there for a few years would would try to, uh, to pull that. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've definitely come across some. Um, some volunteers and some part-timers that, you know, the expectation of them was quite a bit for what they were pursuing. But I've also had some volunteers that were more available than I was at times because they understood the hustle and they wanted to get on so badly that right, right. You know, they were there. And I was like, you're making me look bad. Like, <laughs> why are you here already? You know, because they had that desire and they knew the competitive nature of it. But this, again, this game is not for everyone. Um, it, it is not a, a, well, maybe at some of the highest levels, it can be luxurious and, you know, coveted, but for the wrong reasons, but at, at the grassroots level of things, this is very much so, uh, as Vijay said, this is teaching, this is passion, this is someone to get to the next level. And it's hard to do that three days uh, when you have the opportunity of, of five. Uh, and then, you know, you compete on the weekend. And if they're a distance runner, they're getting a long run in. If they're not, they need to be getting treatment on Sunday. So you're around. Yeah. So 
a lot of what um, you are doing, you are helping to, you know, investing and pouring into, you know, young adults to help them find their way through. And, and sometimes athletics is, is that thing. And sometimes there's conversations where athletics isn't the thing, but they can still do well within, within spaces within the university and just help them find out, you know, what works best for them. Uh, and all this, you've talked about the challenges, you've talked about the things that you love doing about your jobs. Sometimes you succeed because of things and sometimes you succeed in spite of things. Uh, and so for, for each of you, what, what accomplishment are you most proud of? Well, um, I think actually back when I was teaching, I used to teach at a school for kids with behavior problems before I got the job at Westfield. And uh, I had one kid who, um, I, <laughs> when I first got the job, the, the one of the administrators told me, he said, hey, you need a big brother, this kid, because he's a pretty good athlete, but he never works at, in his classrooms, in, in, on any of his classwork. So, you know, first day he comes into PE, he's up against the wall. And I said, why aren't you participating? He goes, man, I'm better than all these kids. I said, well, prove it. I said, you got to walk the walk. And so um, he goes, man, like I'm better than all of them. Why, why do I got to play against them? I said, all right, then come in early, five minutes to class, and we'll play one-on-one because -on -one, he, he was a good basketball player. And so, you know, he started playing one-on-one, -on -one, you know, five minutes before class started. And then um, so it was Monday, Wednesday, Friday was PE. Tuesday, Thursday was health class. You know, he used to come into health class, just sit there and not do anything. And, and I was like, well, you know, you're gonna have to do this work at some point. So he'd have to go into like, you know, the self-contained and, and have to do his, his work on his own when he wasn't in class. And then, you know, eventually after we played some one-on-ones, um, he started doing his work. He started asking me for help. Like, like, can you help me with this problem? So slowly started doing his work. And so I, I ended up bringing a whiteboard and I told him, I said, hey, we're gonna keep track of each time we play one-on-one. Because -on -one. Uh, he beat me one time, little eighth grader could make it rain from three <laughs> i was giving him too many shots on the outside he beat me one time so then i said um all right we're gonna have to uh make a little whiteboard and we'll keep a tally of how many times you win so if you get five wins uh, like i'll buy you lunch from from next door so there was a culinary department so everyone always wanted the, the kids always got hot lunch but if they did something special they got like uh, a lunch from the culinary department so um eventually it got to the point where he earned you know he beat me five times and I, I got some slack from all the, all the, the coaches and uh, teachers in the, in the school. But um, then at the end of the year, the, the goal of everyone in that school is to get into a regular school system, not to, to stay in that school system. So he ended up going to a regular high school, actually uh, over in Amherst High School, uh, Williams' rival over there. I know Amherst <laughs> College. So um, and uh, now he's actually playing basketball at Framingham State. And I remember when he was a senior at Amherst High. He sent me a letter while I was down here at, at McNeese and um, uh, well, he had texted me asking my address. He, he mailed me a letter. And so I got everyone on the track team to sign a T-shirt and we, we sent it over. I had to check with compliance to make sure that that was legal because not recruiting the kids or anything. So um, we, we sent it over to him and um, he was uh, he was going to now he plays basketball. I believe he's got to be a junior or senior now over at a. Uh, at Framingham State, so that that was really special to see um, someone uh, see a kid that that had a lot of potential because kids with potential are walking among us. But how many kids are actually going to put in the effort and become great? Like, I mean, 
you see all these kids that, that run 49 second 400s and then they, they end up running 46s in college. But there's so many kids that are 49s and could run 46s, but they just don't want it. And so I think when you see kids with potential and you, you, you keep pressing them, and it's one thing if you believe in them, but getting them to finally believe in what they're capable of, I think that's like, you know, and seeing it come to fruition, that's like the, the ultimate. That's the reason why we coach is we want to see kids succeed on and off the court. Like, like we mentioned, um, uh, Coach Lynch mentioned uh, the kid from Yonkers. Like, mm-hmm. he, would, would he have gotten a college degree without you recruiting him? You know, you, you always wonder, like, w- what would have happened if you never crossed paths with some of those kids? And so that's, I think, that the best part about being in this position. DJ, funny you mentioned Amherst High School. That's where I got my, my scholastic coaching career started. Yeah. Went to UMass Amherst, graduated and was living in the area and got started scholastically coaching there. Yeah. So others, what would you say is your... Uh, what accomplishment you're most proud of? Um, I, I'm most proud of just like the young man from Yonkers who, um, you know, we, we pretty much made a deal. Like you're gonna come, it's gonna be hard, but you're gonna get this degree and it's gonna open up so many other doors for you. And I'm gonna be here to support you the whole way through. Um, and he was actually, he was easy. Once he got through his freshman year and he, he understood like the level of writing for college and that sort of thing, he was fine. But I've had some other kids that have been um, apparently problem children to high school coaches. And what would happen is I'm recruiting at the state level and the student would meet me there and, you know, I'm talking and he comes around and I'm, I end up talking to his high school coach and the high school coach is like, how did you get him to, um, I recruited him as a high jumper and he went to nationals for two hurdle races because I saw that he was a better hurdler. They're like, how did you get him to do that? And I was like, well, I just kind of talked to him about, you know, the hurdles and you know, how high he would actually have to jump and blah, 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 blah. And they were like, and he listened to you. Like he did what you said. And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, and he's smirking and they're like, we couldn't get him to do anything. And he doesn't listen. And like, he's, we're, you know, we were happy he graduated from high school and he is enrolled in an MBA program. So it's finding the ability to communicate with kids or young adults in a way where maybe they've been not great in the past. I don't want to say people failed them. That's not it. But people weren't, they weren't able to meet each other where they were to get to where he needed to go. So it's, it's kind of finding those tricky projects and, you know, I grew from it. He grew from it. Now, were there suspensions along the way? Did we have some harsh, hard conversations? Did his mother say, you go ahead and beat him? Yes. (laughs) No, he did not get beat, but understood that I care genuinely about him graduating and he needed to take certain steps and he needed to avoid other steps. And then he helped to shape my program. He helped to be the person that people reached out to uh, because they, they knew that they trusted him as a student and they could trust me as an extension of him. Because I don't know that all of my students love me um, not at first anyway, because there's specific goals and there's expectations and, you know, this isn't a club necessarily. Um, I, I treat track and field like it's not, not the Olympics, but you can be fantastic in any division 
of track and field because it's a clock, it's a measuring tape. It's, you know, so if you want to be great, you can be great here. You can be a national champion here with no facility, or you can be somebody who's just on this team and has a great GPA and has a great attitude and whatever else. That is the difference for me with division three. So I would say my greatest achievement is people um, being successful, graduating, uh, reaching their goals, even if they are not specifically on the track in the circle in a pit, you know, it's, it's just that overall development. Yeah. And I, I would say um, the thing that I'm most proud of, I think is, you know, when I was an athletic director was that uh, the ability to come in when I, when I came in, the athletic director before me had been there for over 40 years and to take over for somebody who, who he didn't have uh, computer skills. So everything was in paper. Uh, I mean, it was, it was just uh, keeping money in a safe and there was no correspondence to um, the athletic department to other parts of the campus. And that was one of the biggest things that uh, I found in athletic administrator ever since every place that I had been, all the other schools that I had been to was that communication with other parts of campus. And uh, I was in, I started out in, in development and fundraising. That was my uh, expertise. And uh, when I came there, it was, you know, immediately starting that relationship with the uh, development office on campus and trying to, you know, mend ways that, you know, the athletic department was by itself kind of in its own little silo before I got there. And I felt if I could, you know, make that establish a good relationship with the development office, raising money that that might, you know, get some money flowing my way and uh, to help what we needed to do in the athletic department as far as our facilities. But uh, we eventually were able to, you know, rearrange our gym, even though it was a 1940s rubber gym, you know, we got some baseball, uh, batting cage nets and and uh, rearranged the rubber floors with some seating on that floor and took some old bleachers out from the 1920s up on the upper deck and made it a new recreation area. But all of it was, you know, with the, the design to create an overall a good experience for not just student athletes, but but all all people on camp, uh, the cadets on campus that could use the facility. And uh, uh, that was kind of my thing. I, I feel I have that ability to network, create partnerships, reach out not just on campus, but into the community and uh, find business partners and, and those types of things. And that's very important for anybody, whether you're a coach or administrator or anything, it's that ability to reach out and, and create partnerships that can help you accomplish the goals that you want. And uh, that's something that, uh, that I learned, you know, from my mentors, um, uh, at Stanford, at Marquette, and, and University of New Hampshire, and UMass Boston, every every place I went, I learned something to, you know, about how to create those partnerships. And that's that's a huge thing. I think for me, when I think about what I'm most proud of, I would say the impact I've had on the schools I have worked at still lives on. I mean, I, I and, um, you know, I don't think there's anything else that we all are want to have than more like of a of a loving legacy that was fostered organically, authentically through relationships with the people in that program, coaches and players, 
athletic department members, fellow colleagues. So that's what I, that's what I, when I look back on it, that's what I think of. So, so I, I know that uh, Danielle alluded to this earlier. One of the things that wanted to, I wanted to hear from you all is how would your peers and, and uh, athletes describe you? So we have the facilitator of dreams. So we have one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the rest of you, how, how would your peers and athletes describe you? I would say my my thing had is is loyalty uh, is the, is the big thing that I'm I'm that person that uh, if I feel somebody's being wronged and there's a way that we can make it right I'm going to do everything possible to make it happen and I'm going to uh, you know fluster some feathers uh, here and there along the way but um, you know we're going to the plan is going to put be put out there and uh, you know we've got to come to some some uh, arrangement as far as what's the best for that situation. And, and um, you know, I think people would say that, that I'm hard nosed, but also very, very understanding and passionate and caring that, uh, that I, I'm doing, the things that I'm doing is, is the best for them. My husband chimed in and he said earlier in my career, they called, well, he called me coach drop it or pop it so you would either run a really fast time or pull your hamstring oh. <laughs> <laughs> um my colleagues uh view me as kind of like a um traffic director or like a firefighter um because i'm oftentimes troubleshooting ahead of time what's going to happen we have one gym like a small basketball volleyball gym um, and that's pretty much it for any type of indoor facility. We got our first turf field <laughs> a couple of months ago. So I'm always thinking ahead about, you know, how we can collectively work as a team of coaches and administrators to use the facilities that we have still play nice with intramurals because we have a very active intramurals and recreation program. So, um, and because I'm put on every committee <laughs> that's around, they're like, what do you know about this? You know, what do you know about that? Um, so I, I think, I, as was stated earlier, creating those kind of partnerships across campus and, and working with others, I'm like the friendly coach because I'm also a student um, there. So uh, coach pop it or drop it, facilitator of dreams and firefighter is what I'm going to go with for tonight. Nice coach. <laughs> I should have gone before you. <laughs> I would say, um, I mean, my whole coaching philosophy is the word family with LTL mixed in there for loyalty, trust, and love. Um, and I would say that that's what my people would say, that I'm loyal, I'm trusting, and I'm loving of them. And, um, that's, and that's what my foundation has and always will be. EJ? Yeah. Um, I guess we're kind of all on the same page because I was going to say honesty, trustworthy and, and loyal. I, I, I think the kids know I got their back like just the other week. I was looking for jobs for them to help help them find a job that uh, was going to pay them a, a decent amount and not kill them by, you know, working behind the store and lifting a whole bunch of stuff. But also don't want them coming in contact with a bunch of customers. So, um, you know, when 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 they're when they're in need, I'm, I'm going to be there for them. But in, in turn, they got to have my back too. So they got to be taking care of their responsibilities or they know I'm just going to say, Hey, if you're not helping us, 
um, you don't have the right attitude, then we're just going to cut you loose. You know, like uh, I think that's one thing here at D1, it's a little more cutthroat. Um, you know, if you're a really good athlete, okay, you get a strike. <laughs> okay. But if, if you're, if you're not very good, you better, and you're just one of my projects that's got potential. Um, you better prove to me that why I should keep you around if you mess up, you know? So, um, but the kids know that if, if I have them on the team, they're there for a reason. I believe in them. And um, so that that's kind of my thing is that I, I'm going to have your back, but you got to have my back and do what you're supposed to do. That's right. And so this, this answer for some of you may be the same as the answer you, you just gave, but um, one of the things that's important, I think in all our, our careers and, and our work is that we leave a place better than what we found it. Uh, and so for, for you all, what would you want your legacy to be? Um, I, I mean, honestly, I don't really care about my legacy. I just want to make sure that the kids, like, um, when they come to the, the university, they have a, vi a vision in mind. And I want to make sure that vision comes true. So I think that's kind of my job. I never want a kid to, to, to come to the school and then be like, oh, it's not what I thought it was going to be. I, I paint a pretty honest picture when they get there. And I think when, when I'm recruiting, I usually ask them, uh, all right, what scares you away from McNeese? You know, what, what, what's the reason why you wouldn't want to come to McNeese? And like, we, you know, we had two hurricanes, like I was saying last year, I had kids tell me, that, uh, you know, I asked them, what do they like? What are they, what scares them away? They say weather for both. Cause I don't want to be in hurricanes, but I want to be in warm weather. So, you know, um, I think, uh, I, I just want to make sure they're, they're coming there and they know what they're expecting and they know what they're going to, what's going to be hitting them head on. And, I want to make sure I know every kid going to want to be a national champion or, or should want to be a national champion. And that's not going to come true, but they're going to have other goals along the way that I want to make sure that they're able to reach. So um, I guess that's what um, I would want the, the legacy to be is for them to make sure that they made, they always look back and made sure they made the right choice to come to, to their university. Mine, mine be pretty simple just to hopefully it would be a, a better, um, opportunity for them to get a great education and compete uh, better than when I when I first started. That would that would be, and how you measure that? You know, so many different ways. How, how many are going to be go on to be successful? Uh, family, you know, fathers, mothers, and um, you know, just have a successful career in their business, whatever it is, and uh, be successful in life. And if I can, you know create a process that allows more kids to do that than, than I've done my job, been part of, part of doing a job. Yeah, I, I would, I mean, I'm pretty much the same as you, as you both so far that, you know, I, I just want to know that I made a positive impact on those that I've worked with and that they can take with them and hopefully positively impact someone else. I mean, I think about an example. So from my first coaching experience VJ at Amherst High School in the ninth grade I took all those kids from ninth grade down like even fifth sixth grade because I figured they were going to be coming through me so coached AAU and whatnot and there were a couple kids who were like basketball players but I mean I, I coached everybody the same I, I tried to get the most out of everybody and what have you so long story short turns out now one of those kids who I coached is an assistant coach with the Sacramento Kings 
And, you know, we've had a great relationship over the time and over the years, but, you know, a couple of years ago, he was telling me how, like, you know, the impact that I had on him at that time and him wanting to be a coach and all this stuff. And honestly, I did, like, I thought he was smarter enough to know not to get into coaching. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, so it, it just goes to show you that you, you never know who you can impact, you know, um, and that we should be trying to reach and touch everybody. And it's funny, I was on a coaching call. I was taking a class and this discussion came up in terms of when coaches should, in essence, give up on a player. And I get it. I get it that, you know, sometimes people can wear us too thin, but, you know, as you said, VJ, you know, we're really, we're teachers, you know, um, what teacher ever gives up on a student? One parent ever gives up on one of their children. That's the way I look at it. And I can see what people are trying to say with that other, um, the, uh, the opposite philosophy of that. I get it, but that's not me. Um, so that was reassuring to hear that and understand that. And, and, you know, when people reach out to you that you don't think are the ones who would reach out to you, for example, you know, for whatever the reason, and mm -hmm. they speak of the impact that you had on them, that, that brings it full circle and home for me because like, that's the impact that those four coaches and my violin teacher that I talked about earlier did. And to bring it full circle, that's the impact that not knowing John Thompson um, and, and, you know, and John Cheney as the coaches that they were, that's the impact that I would like to have. So to hear that makes me know that I'm trying, I'm living out what I think is my mission. I mean, I'm not sure that I have much different um, information to offer other than what I shared and what you all said. I, I, if I can make a difference, if I can help save someone, um, from a variety of situations or help someone to uh, succeed in a way that they were unsure they could. That's all that speaks to me. Um, it, it's that, that service component of things. Um, it, it's, it's always right to do the right thing. And um, that, that's what means the most to me, um, I believe. And that's what I, I hope that people uh, gain from their interactions with me. For sure, for sure. And yeah, to piggyback off uh, Coach Tommy there, I was like, I know I said like I kind of cut kids loose when when <laughs> they get too many strikes on their plate. I, I, I was always kind of like with that, like I can't give up on a kid. But what I've slowly started to like lean towards is there's certain kids that come from certain backgrounds where I'm going to give them, I'm, I'm going to hold their hand, you know. And there's some kids that after a few years, if it's their junior year, and they're still not getting it it's like all right what, what am i pulling my hair out for you know you know if they're if they're not getting it and they're a junior about to graduate in the year all right it's, it's time to let the hand go and i, I need to move on to someone else because I, I feel like when i'm recruiting now it's i'll always take a chance on that one kid that i know needs that extra help but if i have too many of those kids inmates run the prison you know what i mean <laughs> you know you gotta you gotta you gotta like make sure that you bring in someone into that environment where they're gonna have support around them so like i always the way i always think about it is when freshmen come in they always look around and see what's accepted you know i always find the freshmen are really quiet at practice all right what are the what are the upperclassmen getting away with you know and then then they react. So if you have a bunch of kids that, you know, they're, they're fooling around right before they're getting in the blocks or whatever, and, 
you know, if they're fooling around and they get in, they, they give it an all-out effort, all right, I, I'm fine with that. But if they're fooling around and being goofy and they're not executing, well, then that's setting the wrong tone, you know. And so um, I think that's that's one thing that's that's kind of shifted for me is, like, I, I've, I'm always giving, like, these kids, I just, like, you know, give them a punishment. But, like, then it was, I think I kind of made a shift, like, two years ago when I had this one kid that every year was making the same freshman mistakes. And it was just like, dude – he was literally a senior about to graduate and he was supposed to graduate. We were going to put him on a, like a GA position and pay for his school for a second semester. He was going to pay out the rest of his eligibility as a graduate student. And he failed a class. And I was like, dude, I'm not putting you back on scholarship. Like I, I like I'm done. You've been late to practice, missing practice. Like, you know, some of those kids, it's like, it's, it, it, they're never going to get it, you know? Um, but when those kids like do, actually you see that 180 shift that's like when we're talking about our biggest accomplishment that's what what's awesome but like i think the coach i work for now he, he kind of painted a really good picture like listen not every kid's gonna end up the way you want them to end up you know and you have to know when to when to cut ties with them and if it's if it's affecting the group um and it's affecting you and your position in your job well, then you got to decide it's, it's either him or me at that point, if they're, if they're doing stuff that's messing around. So that's um, the truth. I, yeah. I echo your sentiments. Division three, again, it's a little bit different. Like when I first took this position and started my program and had to like educate people about tobacco use at sporting events um, and how that was not allowed as an athlete. Um, I've, I first thought I've committed career suicide, but then I also thought like none of these kids could ever be on my previous team, but that's building. So you, you are a hundred percent right. There's different levels and different expectations of different people. Um, I, I remember having a conversation with a young lady who, while I thought she was talented and should be a part of my program, again, different institution. Um, she, it, she wasn't in it. And I asked her, what do you want to do when you wake up in the morning? And she's like, I really want to sing. I said, oh, do you just do track? Because she said, because that's what everyone expects me to do. I said, well, I'm starting to see that at practice a bit that you might want to be doing something else. Are you a choir here? What do you do with your time? And she, it ended up working out where she could sing and she could still be a valuable teammate, but it was having those challenging conversations and helping her through that. Uh, but other kids, sometimes you just have to say, you know, your time is done here. You, you are the weakest link. <laughs> sometimes but you, you know what? Sometimes like, and as you say that, both of you, that's not necessarily giving up on a kid. You know what I mean? Sometimes, sometimes that's what's needed. And I guarantee you, I know you both well enough to know that if and when that kid got it, whether they were part of your team or not, you would be there for them, you know? Mm -hmm. And Danielle, yeah, you exactly. get into, That's... yeah, you know, and Danielle, you get into another thing that like a lot of people get into this coaching profession and they're nervous to enter into difficult conversations. You know what I mean? Which is what you have to have. These are leadership positions. You know what I mean? Like it's not going to always be agreed upon what's, what's the right, what, not even what's the right way. What's the way you as the leader are going to direct the ship. You know right. what I mean? Um, but like, you know, and, and this also, I mean, we could be on here for another couple of hours, really, but that speaks to even like the difference between division one and division three and at division one, when they keep trying to call these people who play sports, because I refuse to call them student athletes anymore. Student athletes, 
that's not the case because of so much that is pinned to your job and this, that, and the other thing where like when you're, when you're talking about what you're going to do for them and student athlete experience and help them grow and develop, that's a transactional relationship, not a transformational relationship. Because if they if they don't start transacting the way you need them to, they will get released. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So it's, it's interesting. It's, it's really why I, I choose to stay at division three. I, I like, everything about what this level can provide, especially in this league, because like, guess what? Also, you know, a lot of division two schools, a lot of division one schools, you can't play for a national championship in basketball. You just can't like say what you want, you know, in the league that I'm at, you can play for that national championship. You could, you can have your sports fix and you can impact lives all at the same time. And, that's what they tell us college athletics are supposed to be about at all levels. But when you take not even a deep dive, when you just go into the shallow end of the pool, you start to quickly find out that's not the truth. Now, there's there's another, you know, as an administrator, uh, Danielle, what you talk about is, you know, going from D1. I've been at uh, three D1 schools and going down to D3 as an administrator and the, the level of expectation uh, sometimes uh, for employees under you, uh, gosh, I mean, I can't tell you the struggle with people just, you know, to do their job and do it efficiently and always, you know, that butting of heads it, that if you have a, a legitimate plan going in, you have to get your people on board about, you know, the way that you want to run the organization, the president of the university or your head coach, your athletic director, he has given you a directive. They have put you into the position because they believe in what you, what skills that you have. And if your employees don't feel that they can do it or whatever, and they want to, you know, push back or whatever, then, you know, you've got to let them know that this is the way we're going to do it. And you've got to either get in line or, you know, there's, there's going to be issues and you might want to find something else to do. But um, if you've got a plan and you've got a way to do it and it's, it's a, um, an effective plan and what you have been brought there to do, you've got to stick with your plan and you can't let the, uh, the others, you know, feel that because they've been there for eight years and you're just there for your first year that your their way is the right way. That's not how it goes. And uh, it's, that's very important for, you know, you're going to have those times and you have to stick and be stick with your plan, be positive and believe in, in what you're bringing to the table. I don't, I don't know if I'm allowed to ask a question. Yeah, sure. <laughs> well, I'm just kind of curious with you guys being at different schools and like different levels of academics, division one, division three, like one thing I've kind of noticed, like um, at division three, there'd be like some of those really good athletes that, you know, you're going to have to ask a favor for admissions and you only get so many favors and you know, you, those are like the kids you kind of look over their shoulders Whereas at division one, it was kind of like, if we're going to offer a kid, they better have a 3.0. They better have this level of academics because we're counting on them to be there, you know, to, to be eligible, be able to make it in the college system, you know? So it's almost like, like we become like admission saying, okay, yeah, we're not going to let anyone below this threshold because we need them, them to make it. I don't Have you guys kind of noticed that you kind of set your thresholds at certain places, whereas at other schools, the admissions were the people you were having to ask, like, can you get this person um, in, you know, you know what I'm saying? 
So for my previous institution, we were essentially an extension of admissions and financial aid. We presented the packages. Um, we presented, we offered a slot. We had um, an academic index that we had to average at. So all of our students, we were allotted 20 some slots. After all of those slots were said and done, we had to meet a certain academic index number as an average. So we really made some life-changing decisions about a lot of people. Um, and at my current school, I'm not allowed to be involved in any of that. I don't know what their packages are. Um, I can only know if their application is in um, and if application materials are missing, it'll just say, you know, missing. And then I have to say, what is missing? And then they'll say, did the student log in? Like, I can't see anything. And there is, initially I was very scared by that, but then I just said, you know what, this is how this institution works. So what I need to find is kids that have these types of SAT scores and this type of uh, class rank and this type of background and push for those. But I still cast a huge net, a, a much larger net than when I was at Division One. Division One, I, I knew exactly who my recruiting class was for Jan by January 1, I knew. Like if you didn't get an early decision, like it, it's a wrap, um, unless you were involved in some other program that I was unaware of. So um, it's a little bit more hands off here, whereas previous institution was, we were wheeling and dealing. We were figuring out how to get, you know, offers to kids before the IVs could. And if, if I say you, you can come here and Cornell is making you guess and wait, you know, bird in the hand, bird in the bush. So I was stealing kids from Ivy Leagues often. Before the, the transfer portal, before the transfer portal, and it was just a constant moving circle of kids. Hey, I want to go on the portal. <laughs> VJ, I think for Division Three, I think it, the the academic component or lack of an academic component component shapes the whole admissions um, situation and conversation. I've worked at two institutions that are high academic, this one being the highest academic. <laughs> and I've worked at one where, you know, I mean, it wasn't high academic, quite honestly. Um, so that shapes the conversation. I mean, the, the, you know, like that's, that's the starting point, you know, like, so if, you know, one school, if, you know, you're 3.0 or higher, maybe that's good, maybe, if you're 3.0 or lower, it's good. You know what I mean? Like whatever that situation. And then, and then it all plays from there. The funny thing about division three is the landscape. There's so many division three schools. It's the highest membership and the landscape from like the, the, the haves to the have not to the top, to the bottom, however you want to rank it. It's just crazy to, to think that we all compete in the same division is just nuts. Really? You know, Garen, you could speak more to that too, really, you know? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's this. I don't know what is. How many Division three schools are there? More than I know. Yeah, I don't know what there are now. I think it's over three hundred, right? Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, three twenty something maybe. Yeah, and Ohio's saturated with them. Right? It's yeah, so competitive out here for that kind of stuff. Yes. Um, yeah, so I I knew I got the right group together. I'm so happy we were able to do this. I want to be conscious of your time, uh, but thank you for sharing your your stories. 
uh, parts of your journey, your wisdom with everyone. It was definitely a learning experience. I continue to learn from you all uh, and hope that we could connect soon down the road for our listeners out there. Appreciate you all turn, tuning in to another episode of The Coach's Box. And as always, stay smart, stay safe.